from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello and welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you have stopped by to spend a few minutes with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find every episode, and this one as well, of Washington Watch. Quick announcement, the Prevote Stand Summit is coming to Atlanta, Georgia, September 14th through the 16th. Three-day event includes a lot of great national speakers, thinkers, policy experts, worldview communicators. Uh, As part of this three-day event, there will be a worldview seminar for high school and college-age students. In addition, there will be a candidate training on Thursday of that event. Get more information and sign up for all of it at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Again, that's prayvotestand.org slash summit. You could also call 877-372-2808. Today on the program, interesting story. The University of Washington published a study that said cross-sex hormones for kids is very helpful for children with gender dysphoria. The problem is the study didn't actually say that. But the coverage they received from their false reporting was received so favorably, they didn't want to tell anyone what the study actually said once they realized it was an error. We'll tell you all about it today a little bit later. Also, Boston Children's Hospital has gotten a lot of attention for removing the healthy sex organs of children. But it turns out they are far from the only ones doing it. We'll tell you what other hospitals around the country are engaged in that tragic uh, behavior and abuse of children. Also, did the FBI tell Facebook not to share information about Hunter Biden's laptop? That's what FBI founder Jeff Zuckerberg seemed to suggest in a conversation with Joe Rogan. We'll talk to a former FBI agent about whether this is something the FBI would be expected to involve itself with or if these are election shenanigans. All of that coming up a little bit later. But first, last Friday on Washington Watch, we remember the 13 service members who were killed in a suicide attack last year in Afghanistan. We learned from Congressman Jim Banks that a top priority of any future Republican Congress will be investigating how the military evacuation from the region was botched so badly. U.S. Representative Lisa McClain has introduced legislation to posthumously award the Congressional Gold Medal to the 13 service members who were killed. And Congresswoman McClain joins us now to discuss this and some other news from Washington this week as well. She serves on the House Armed Services Committee, the House Education and Labor Committee, and represents Michigan's 10th District. Congresswoman McLean, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you today? Good. We are thankful for you to stopping by and also for this uh, important step that you've taken. We want to thank you for the legislation you've introduced to honor these fallen veterans. What did you learn about these men and women as you prepared this? You know, there was a lot to learn, and one one positive note is the actual legislation actually passed. The president uh, signed it into law, so we can and you know award and and celebrate the lives of the 13 servicemen and women that perished on that on that fateful day, and and um, 
you know, my heart breaks for their families and, and really for our country. It's, uh, it's a very sombering anniversary. It's a very sad anniversary, but we're trying to, you know, make the best with their memories and honoring them and saying really thank you for, for your service. That's right. It is a small consolation, but we hope that it is some consolation to those who uh, put themselves in harm's way on our behalf. But as we continue to reflect about what happened, uh, we are celebrating the one year. We are recognizing, I should say, the one year anniversary of the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, how that went over the weekend. Retired General Frank McKenzie, he was on Fox News to to reflect as well. And he was part of that withdrawal. Uh, He talked about the advice he gave to President Biden. Let's play clip five. I advised against withdrawing. My recommendation and my opinion, and it remains so today, was we had the opportunity to remain in the country with a small force. Uh, I realize the Taliban could very well have chosen to attack us, but I do not believe, based on the intelligence I was reading at the time, uh, that we would have uh, that we would have been forced to add more forces in order to maintain a, a you know a 2,500 force level in Afghanistan. But it remains my position that we had the opportunity to stay, keep the Afghanistan, uh, the government of Afghanistan, running. And Congressman McLean, I want to play one more clip from the general because he explained why a modest force is so important there. And that's clip, clip six. Let's play that. At 2,500, we would have been able to maintain Bagram, and that was a principle that was one of the things that was attractive about staying at 2,500. We would have been able to maintain oversight, not direct oversight, but support for those Afghans that were sitting on those prisons. All of that went away when we left. Congresswoman McLean, what's your reaction to General McKenzie's reflections about what he advised uh, President Biden and what keeping a small force there would have meant? Well, you know, I agree with the general. You know, if you you look at um, our position and where we're at now, it was one year ago today when, you know, Biden, President Biden orchestrated one of the worst foreign policies disasters of all times and really made us look weak on the world stage. I mean, we left Americans allies and military, $7 billion of a military equipment that we left behind that emboldened the Taliban takeover. Um, I, I mean, it was a complete embarrassment on the world stage. But but even worse than that is is we left 13 service men, men, members dead and thousands of people really scared for their lives. You know, and the frustrating part is even though it's been a full year since this botch withdrawal, we still have no answers from this administration. And the Biden administration refuses to take responsibility. Listen, we know that that terrorists were released from prisons. And gee, with our open border policy, I wonder where some of those terrorists may have been, uh, may have ended up. So at the end of the day, the the president has um, members of the armed services and, and generals like that you, like you played the clip of, um, perhaps you should listen to some of them every once in a while, because I don't know who he's listening to. Well, Congresswoman, his reaction, his 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 um, decision not to take the advice of generals like General McKenzie and his hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan is particularly curious in light of some statements that he made in 2007 when he was campaigning for president in 2007. Here's some things he had to say about the withdrawal from Afghanistan at a uh, at a town town hall there. Let's play clip one. This is 2007. There's a lot at stake and how we end this war. It makes a big difference how we end this war. 
And it makes a big difference to tell the American people the truth about what our options are in ending this war. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. Congresswoman McLean, it turns out that's exactly what happened about uh, 15 years later. What's your reaction to that? It makes my stomach turn. You know, what happened between then and now? Don't you scratch your head on that? What happened between then and now? Because this has been an example of everything that President Biden has done has been a complete debacle in disgrace. We'd be better off whatever the president says to do something different. I, I just can't for the life of me fathom what changed, right? What changed? I, I can't. He knew it back then. The generals were telling him how to withdraw, and he completely went against everything. You know, he might want to start with his own advice. Why don't we just tell the truth? Because at the end of the day, I think that's really what the American people want. Just tell me the truth. Give me, give me some transparency. I don't think we're, we expect perfection, but we do expect you to honor your words. And tell the truth. Why is it so difficult for this president and this administration? Because like you, like he said, words, his words, how we end this war matters. And that's why I think the, we, look, we look extremely weak on the world stage right now was not that we withdrew, but the manner in which we withdrew. Congresswoman, and I think you said it well there, it's strange that he didn't take his own advice, not to mention the advice of, of people like General McKenzie. Uh, and we still do not have an understanding of what changed for him. And certainly uh, it did change. Now, I want to get onto another topic with you uh, because you were among almost 100 Republican representatives who sent a letter criticizing the student loan bailout. What have you learned since uh, President Biden announced that? Well, again, they have no idea how they're going to pay for it. None. Um, and, and think of what this will cost us, $500 billion. And I want, to, I, I want the American people to understand what we are incentivizing, which I believe your listeners to this program understand. If you go to college and you have a right to get a student loan, don't you have a, re a responsibility to pay it back? I mean, think about that for, for a minute. The people who are paying it back are the people actually who were fiscally responsible and paid their debt and paid their bills. And now we're asking those people and who went to college and even were some of the people that didn't even go to college, right? They made a different financial choice for whatever reason, maybe a trade school, maybe they couldn't afford it. But now what we're telling them is, hey, you have to pay for these people who have debt. And let, let's also look at the people who have the debt. It's either the elite, which, again, I would think if you got a master's or a doctorate, uh, you would have the funds to pay for that, or you, or you have 
uh, uh, the, the, the other end of the spectrum, which is the people that haven't completed and didn't earn the degree. So again, my mom taught me when you start something, you finish it. And if you have a right, you have a responsibility. And if, a make, if you make a deal, you keep your end of the bargain. And again, what are we teaching our youth? What are we teaching the next generation? It, it makes it's a great question, and, and it does beg the question, uh, what other loans will the public begin to look to the federal government to forgive simply because we don't want to repay them? I'm out of time to play the clip, but one other question I have for you. Uh, it's It's been well documented that Nancy Pelosi said last year that the president does not have the authority uh, to simply wipe away student debt, student loan debt. What do you know about the potential of a legal challenge to this decision, if any? Well, I can assure you we will have a legal uh, uh, challenge because when you're going to put a policy in place with the stroke of a pen where you can put on the backs of the American people that are already suffering with 8.5% inflation, you can, with the stroke of a pen, decide to make a $500 billion decision. I think that needs to go through the proper channels. I think it definitely needs to go through Congress. And I think you're going to see many legal challenges. And I can assure you that this is top of mind for us Republicans. When we get back in session, we've already had some talks about what we're going to do. Um, this is just absolutely ridiculous on the amount of reckless spending that this administration is doing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. We are out of time, but we appreciate your update with us today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Coming up next, a University of Washington study with some bad information. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us, and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today. A recent study by the University of Washington and Seattle Children's Hospital claimed that transgender care via puberty blockers improves the mental health of teenagers dealing with gender confusion issues. Now, in March 11th, a press release from UW Medicine said, quote, researchers recently found that gender affirming care for transgender and non-binary adolescents caused rates of depression to plummet, end quote. As you might guess, mainstream news outlets leapt at the chance to glowingly cover these results. The problem is, that's not what the study actually found. Most significantly, researchers knew that wasn't true. But when they learned it wasn't true, a series of emails show they decided not to correct the record. So what did the research actually reveal? And is this normal behavior among the so-called experts? Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens, Director of the Center for Family Studies here at Family Research Council. Dr. Bowens has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse and has also taught on psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Dr. Bowens, good to see you today. Good to be with you, Joseph. There's a lot to discuss, very little time. Um, let's start with the study itself. We know what their press release said. What did the study actually find? Right. So the interesting thing um, here is that we're facing the same study, same, same type of study once again. Um, there is such a, a valiant effort on um, people who pose, who uh, are for this transgender ideology um, to really find something to hold on to to promote this, this um, way of, of treating children. And um, once again, we find that there's some funny business going on with the way the scientific study, uh, quote-unquote scientific study, has been um, promoted. And what, what we actually found is, like, the, the study says that if you take puberty blockers or hormones, that it will actually reduce your uh, mental health, negative mental health outcomes, such as depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal ideation, but when you actually dig into the study, what we're seeing is that the the result is not significant, and um, but you know the narrative uh, fit all of the mainstream media, so they ran with it. And to that point, they actually 
learned that, and they, in their private conversations, they admitted this. Now, Laura East is the Department of Epidemiology spokesperson, and there were several emails that were requested uh, through a Freedom of Information Act request about this study, and here's what she had to say to her colleagues in some emails. She said the article, referring to the study, said the article resulting from the inquiry was recently posted on the author's substack and includes some pretty concerning claims. UW Epidemiology, UW SPH, UW News will not be including this article in our media tracking or otherwise driving traffic to this piece. So this right here is their acknowledgement that there is something wrong with this study, but the emails go on. And here's another quote from, again, this is Laura East. She says, quote, as there is an overwhelming amount of positive coverage of the study's findings, I don't believe there's a need for a proactive response beyond continuing to monitor. But welcome your ideas for any other actions or messaging with the study team. Happy to jump off a call on a call if that's easier. So she appears to be saying here, Dr. Bowens, that we're getting a really good response to this study. It has some very concerning claims, so we don't really trust it. But the press is so good, we might not want to correct that. Is this normal behavior within academia? Well, it didn't used to be normal behavior, at least that we know about. Um, I think COVID gave us a, a different um, opening into the scientific world when you have someone like Dr. Fauci who claims to be science, in which case we know that science has um, gone off the cliff because we can't really trust Dr. Fauci. And if you do, then we might have a helpline for you. Um, I, I'm all kidding aside. Um, we have to look at um, some of the things that we know about the scientific method, which are we, we're transparent. We hold findings loosely. Um, we don't use polemical language, such as plummeted. Um, our study showed that the results um, are the outcome plummeted depression. We don't use that kind of language. And if you read studies like that, for our listeners, that should be a clue that something is going on um, in the reporting that uh, my alarm bells are going off. Um, the access to the raw data. We should, anyone should be able to write to a researcher and say, I'd like to see your data, I'd like to reanalyze it, but you don't see that happen here with um, this particular study. So what we're seeing, um, not, just, not, not just with University of Washington, but American Academy for Pediatrics um, and other studies that we've reviewed on this program, is that um, there's such a politicization of scientific method. And when you don't see the basic um, method adhered to, then we already know we're in, in troubled waters here. We cannot trust the results. Dr. Browns, one of the other interesting points about this story is that the news outlets who ran with this, which includes some of the, the big names that we know of, they saw this headline, they grabbed it, and of course they promoted it. It took an independent journalist to start digging in, asking questions, asking for the data that supports the findings, which the University of Washington refused to release. Is this also uh, an indictment of our news media that it takes just kind of quote-unquote regular people outside the media establishment to ask the questions that ultimately let the world see this isn't actually true and the the um, legacy media, the established media, the so-called credentialed media were just running with the headline that they were given and weren't thinking critically at all about what was being what was being claimed. Yeah, and, and what a sad state for 
the, the for um, treatment because you remember we're talking about children. We're not uh, we're not talking about um, you know somebody getting a, a toe surgery or something you know rather benign. We are talking about the lives of children who will forever be impacted by um, by these inter quote unquote interventions. And then also, I mean, you look at this study and you see the kids who are enlisted in it are already having significant mental health problems before they even are treated by, um, by a uh, quote-unquote, again, physician. So, right. um, you know, this is, this is problematic on so many Dr. Bounds. Yeah, and, and we know that there's problems associated with stopping stopping puter, puberty and cutting off um, body parts. But this study tells us that there's not even the other benefit to mental health. We're out of time. Got to go. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. This is a troubling story, but a sign of the times coming up. More hospitals performing these surgeries. We'll cover it. When Are you back. a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Grateful that you have chosen to spend a few minutes with us. Last month, the House passed a bill to codify the redefinition of marriage into federal law. Senator Schumer plans to take a vote to the Senate next month when they return from recess. Make sure your voice is heard on this issue. Visit frcaction.org slash marriage. You can see how your representatives voted and then tell your senator not to redefine marriage in federal law. That's the message and the website is frcaction.org slash marriage. Earlier this month, 
Boston Children's Hospital was exposed for performing gender transition surgeries on minors. The hospital have heavily promoted these procedures, both on their website and through video testimonials they produced and promoted. But once these practices were revealed, the hospital quickly changed course, scrubbed their website, and claimed that such surgeries are performed only on adults. Now, in light of this, Washington Stand staff writer Joshua Arnold did a little digging nationwide and found at least 12 other hospitals that perform these surgeries on minors as well. His article can be found at WashingtonStand.com, and he joins us now to discuss it. Joshua, good to see you today. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us, uh, Boston Children's Hospital apparently isn't the only one removing the healthy body parts of kids to deal with gender identity issues. What else did you find? That's correct, Joseph. I found 13 hospitals across the U.S., most of them pediatric children's hospitals, that appear to be performing surgeries, at least occasionally, on children under the age of 18. Now, were you able to find this because they just had that information on their website for the world to see? That's correct. This information was on the website. It sometimes is veiled in a little bit of vague language that these hospital, hospitals seem to be great politicians. Everyone can take from the, whatever they want. But after looking at a lot of these hospitals, I kind of got the knack for exactly what they meant by what they were saying. And, and these were the ones that seemed like it was incontrovertible that they were performing these surgeries. Now, in the example of Boston, when, when they released all these videos, those videos got a lot of attention where they were essentially bragging about this. Then once they got that attention, they scrubbed that from their website. If they're so proud of it, why are they, why are they scrubbing the information once the public becomes aware of it? That's a good question. I think part of it is because the public clearly doesn't like it. Um, we saw from the response from at the Boston Hospital and a couple of others that there was fierce public backlash when this became known. Now, the media is trying to cover for them. Um, associations like American Pediatrics are covering for them, and the hospital is doing the best it can to contain the fallout and do damage control. But ultimately, uh, people don't want these surgeries performed on children. Do you have any sense for how recently the hospitals have made these decisions? We know that the issue in the public consciousness has arisen dramatically in recent years. We know between, you know, in Western nations, we've seen data, especially with teenage girls, the incidences of, of gender identity challenges have risen four, 5,000% among teenage girls. But when did these clinics, do you know, begin offering these uh, surgeries for minors? Well, according to one study published in a peer-reviewed journal earlier this year, they used a data set from this Boston Children's Hospital um, that had transgender, gender transition surgeries performed between 2017 and 2020. And 65 of the surgeries uh, in their data set that they used for their research model um, were on minors. And they said that Boston Children's Hospital is one of the first, but we can clearly see this is expanding across the nation. We're talking to Washington Standard reporter Joshua Arnold. Now, Joshua, we know there are also gender clinics around the country that have been popping up. It's, it's something of a cottage industry around this, this social contagion, this kind of political and social phenomenon of gender identity issues. Um, do those clinics also perform these surgeries, or do they do less invasive surgeries and leave the surgical operations up to the bigger hospitals? For my research, it seemed like a to have a surgeon on staff, you needed a pretty big shop. 
So a New York hospital with approximately 19 physicians in their department would have, say, four, whereas in Boise, Idaho, where they only have five um, doctors in this field, um, they might only have one or two. So they've, definitely the smaller practices would refer to the bigger ones um, for surgical procedures, but this does seem to be uh, sweeping all across the country. Now, to this point, is this a legal matter in most states? How many states regulate this in any way? Do you happen to know that? This is almost entirely unregulated, either at the federal level or at the state level. Um, even at the association uh, level, it's encouraged and supported. Um, Arkansas became the first state to uh, pass legislation restricting this um, a couple years ago, but that was blocked in the courts. And there's only a, a couple other states, Alabama, Texas, Arizona, that have taken any action on this at all. Um, most of the hospitals are relying on um, standards of care, quote unquote, that have been put out by basically a transgender advocacy group um, called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And they recommend that these surgeries be performed on whatever is the age of majority in any country. Not exactly a very scientific um, medical standard there, but they also leave wiggle room for that and allow it to be performed on um, even younger children in some cases. And as we discussed in the, in the last segment, uh, some, much of the science being used to encourage this to happen turns out it's pretty flimsy. And, and so we're, we really have to ask the question, what is the justification for removing the healthy body parts of children? Is it actually helping them? The evidence is pretty strong that it is not, but we understand also that we are dealing with very strong political forces. Joshua Arnold, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you. That is a critical, critical question in the investigation on the places that are doing this. Now, speaking of hospitals performing these surgeries, our next guest has been traveling the country, standing outside of these hospitals with billboards. We'll tell you why when we come back. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S 
STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, your guest host today. Pleasure to be with you. The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can watch this and every episode of Washington Watch, whenever it is most convenient for you. In our last segment, we talked about the hospitals around the country that are performing gender surgeries on children, removing healthy body parts on minors. One of the hospitals covered in that investigation was Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Last week, employees of the hospital were caught on tape stating that the hospital performs hysterectomies on children. The hospital has since denied that with a statement saying that the employees were mistaken. Well, our next guest was at Children's Hospital today, both to protest and raise awareness about these harmful treatments on children. Chris Elston is a father known to many as Billboard Chris. He travels the country with signs warning about the dangers of puberty blockers and surgeries for minors. And he joins us now. Chris, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. we got a crazy world going on. We need to talk about this. We do. We're glad to have you. Tell me, uh, why are you doing this? Well, I'm a dad of two girls. They're 10 and 12 years old now. And for about two years, I've been going out on the street having conversations with people. I probably had about 8,000 conversations to date. Because in Canada, where I'm from, none of the media will cover any of this. And I had learned a lot about this child abuse scandal. And I just didn't want to live in a world where this was going on. So I did the only thing I could do, which was strap some signs on my back and head outside. You said you've had about 8,000 conversations now. How would you summarize those conversations? <laughs> so there's a big variance here, but definitely the vast majority of the population, I'd say a little more than 90% support what I'm doing. People of all political stripes, <laughs> all ages, all demographics, because it's not that controversial to say that we shouldn't be sterilizing kids. But of course, there is a very vocal minority who are very angry. A lot of them don't even understand what's going on. And they try to silence conversation at any cost. And I've been attacked, I've been assaulted, I've been arrested, I've had my arm broken. But most of the society definitely supports what we're doing. We just need to get the truth out there because people have no idea what's happening. 
Now, you've put yourself out there in a position to have a lot of conversations, and so you have interacted in a very personal way with a lot of the opposition on this issue, those who think it's really good to give a child a hysterectomy because they think it's going to help with their mental state. Um, how would you describe the typical opponent to your position on this issue? What's their, what's their reason for disagreeing with you? Well, believe it or not, the foot soldiers of this movement tend to be young liberal women. About 90% of the verbal abuse I get on the street comes from young liberal women. And these are the teachers, these are the social workers, the counselors, people working in our HR departments. And they just really do believe that they're helping children to be who they really are. And they don't believe that children are being rushed into this medical treadmill of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries. They don't believe that kids are being sterilized or that surgeries are being done without parental consent on minors. They just think they're helping these kids to be who they really are. But they've never really thought past the surface. They don't understand that there really is no such thing as a transgender child. What does it mean for a girl to be a boy? No one can answer that question. And in the last 10 years, we've seen about a 4,000% increase in girls now identifying as boys. It's a social contagion going on. We haven't seen the same uptick with boys. It is increasing there as well. But this is really a social contagion affecting girls. And it's not a big controversy or it's not widely misunderstood. Everyone knows that puberty is a tough time. And it's especially tough time for girls. And if you give them an out, which our teachers and these kids are being groomed on social media to believe that they can just identify out of their sex, well, if you give them that option, some are going to take it because they're being sold a lie that they can just transition to be a boy and everything's going to be better. You, know, you mentioned the fact that nobody can tell you what it means for a uh, boy to become a uh, or a girl to become a boy, but that's partly because nobody can tell you these days what a girl even is. So we don't know how to tell you what a girl is, and so we can't tell you how they can become a boy. And, and around here, we talk a lot about the fact that this has to do with worldview. And you mentioned, and I think it's worth acknowledging, that the, our opponents on this side really think they're doing the right thing, which is one of the reasons they are so aggressive and so militant about this, because they really believe you and me and people who share our position on this issue that we are going to kill children if we don't allow them to get hysterectomies. And so they really think they are acting in defense of life. But, uh, and that's based on their assumptions that, Ultimately, our life is kind of meaningless and purposeless, and there is no ultimate purpose to the way we were created, and only we can know what makes us happy, and only we can know what the purpose of our lives is. And it's just a very different worldview. It really is its own separate religion that leads them to these conclusions. But, Chris, you were at Washington, uh, the Children's Hospital today there in Washington, D.C. Um, what, what happened today? Tell me about your experience. What did you learn? So they knew I was coming. Security, they have their own private police. They were ready for us, and they were extremely aggressive, actually. I was standing about two feet off of the public sidewalk on the hospital sidewalk, and I almost got arrested. A man was very angry with me, one of the private police officers. But they calmed down after a while, and it's not the best place to have conversations, which is what I like to do because there's not a ton of foot traffic. But whatever you do, wherever you go, it's always creating good because what happens is the people inside the hospital see us, and they start talking amongst themselves. They go, what's going on? There's a protest going on. Because the thing is, even in these hospitals, most of the doctors and nurses are not okay with this. What's happening in all these children's hospitals is you have this one little corner called the gender clinic, staffed by five or six people, and they're the ones doing all the damage to thousands of kids across this nation. And they're just ideologues. And you nailed it in yeah. your earlier comment. This is essentially a religion. I call it a cult. 
And one of the biggest indicators that it is a cult is the treatment that these children and young adults get when they leave it. When someone decides that they're not really trans and they decide to detransition or just identify as their actual sex, they are shunned by this community. They're kicked out. They are aggressively told that they were never really trans and they receive a ton of hate. So if, re if they were just wanting these kids to be who they really are, shouldn't they also be celebrating them when they discover that they really are their sex? They should be, but they're not because they just want to trans these kids. That's the ultimate objective. That's a really excellent point. And, and the detransitioners are treated terribly. Um, they are not given the same freedom to live their truth. Chris Elston, Billboard Chris, thanks for your courage. And thanks for coming on today to inspire us and, sh and share everything that you've learned. Thank you so much. Now, last week, Mark Zuckerberg, the co-founder of Facebook and CEO of a and CEO of its parent company, Meta, appeared to admit in an interview that prior to the 2020 election, Facebook throttled sharing of the New York Post reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. He also appeared to admit that Facebook did this in response to a warning from the FBI regarding foreign interference in the upcoming election. The FBI has said such warnings are both routine and old news. Does the FBI discourage coverage of news reports in order to do exactly what they claim foreign governments are attempting to do? Who can we trust? Joining me now to discuss this is a former FBI special agent, Jonathan Gilliam. He's also a former Navy SEAL and current president of the Navy SEALs Fund. Jonathan, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to be with you, my friend. We appreciate your time. Now, to lay some foundation for our conversation for the audience, I'm going to play a couple of clips from the conversation that Jeff Zuckerberg had uh, with Joe Rogan to make sure people know what we were talking about. Uh, let's go ahead and play clip seven. The distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution is decreased, it, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically, the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise so it definitely by what percentage I, I don't know off the top of my head but it's 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 meaningful now that was the first part of this conversation then he went on to describe conversations that the fbi had with facebook let's play clip eight the fbi i think basically came to us uh, some some folks on our team it was like hey um just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Jonathan Gilliam, you're a former FBI agent. Does any of this surprise you? Well, I mean, it, it not it's not business as usual for the FBI. So. Um, it's not like I can say it doesn't surprise me because that's what the FBI does. But when we look at it in context with the way that uh, certain uh, areas of the FBI now function, it does not surprise me. I've been uh, trying to point this out for quite some time that from an investigative standpoint, which the FBI trained me to do, when I look at uh, the way Donald Trump has repeatedly been attacked, it, it pointed out a systematic process going all the way back to as far as 2015 when he declared his candidacy. So as we go forward, we see this repeating process um, of uh, first uh, putting planting seeds in the media, 
And then uh, once those seeds are in the media, now it's not evidence, it's just seeds in the media. Once those seeds are planted, uh, then they go back and they try to gin up some type of evidence to then uh, use as ways to get warrants like they did with the fake dossier uh, and the Russian scandal. And then once they get those things, uh, they they produce more false evidence. They leak that information further to their echo chamber. And uh, and then when people try to denounce that because they see something's wrong with it, then they do exactly what Mark Zuckerberg was just talking about. They throttle it or they ban it. And then the next thing you know, you have a committee in Congress. So when you look at this repeating cycle of events, what you have to ask yourself from an investigative standpoint is a couple of things. Who benefits from this? Well, it's certainly not Trump. It's and really not the FBI. It's the Democrat Party. It's the ideological left. So you automatically look at them. And then you start to look at the FBI and their tactics, techniques, and procedures in this repeating pattern that Mark Zuckerberg talked about. And what you see is a criminal enterprise of people conspiring to stop this president from becoming elected. And overall, that's just part of the picture, overall, to usher in socialism and stop uh, free speech and uh, capitalism and all the other things that come with conservatism in this nation. They want to stop that. So when Mark Zuckerberg said what he did, when he those specific words that he said, we've seen, we know the pattern of the FBI, what that shows me is that, one, it's not the first time that they've done this, and two, it, the FBI is literally tasking social media companies to do their bidding. And there's nothing else that you've seen like this. You don't see the FBI going out and tasking uh, Facebook and saying, well, we think that uh, there's a rise in pedophiles and they may be using this certain thing. So we have to come here and tell you not to do this, right? There's no such thing as that. Facebook uh, goes ahead and, and kind of monitors those things on their own. So one, the whole Russia spygate was a fraud. So obviously the FBI is either broken or they made it up. And two, when they task other entities to do their bidding, those entities are working as uh, agents of the United States government, and it's a violation of your First Amendment right. Well, and Jonathan, that, that's kind of part of what I want to probe there. And you brought up an example of another way in which the FBI theoretically could get involved with something like Facebook or Twitter, these large social media companies, to stop the flow of information that they discerned, decided is harmful. Is there any other context outside of politics where that's something mm. that the FBI might do? They would perceive a risk to someone or something, and they would go to a social media because they have become de facto public forums, and they would say, hey, you need to be aware of this. And maybe you should stop this flow of information. Is there any scenario in which that is done and it's an appropriate uh, uh, customary use of FBI powers? Yeah, I haven't seen it. The only time is when it's very specific, like the, there's a threat to a certain thing, right? So they go out and they say, be aware of this. Or if there's a new virus going around or there's some type of scam that is going around and there's actual proof that people are being injured by this scam, then the FBI can approach and they can make aware, uh, the, the company's aware of this, but, and they can advise and say, we, we suggest that you do this, this, or this. But when it comes to uh, what they're talking about, which is um, espionage or uh, where uh, counterintelligence, where um, uh, the Russians or any other 
agency is going and pushing information forward. To my knowledge, there's never been a case where they have approached a social media company and said, listen, you need to stop this story from moving forward because we believe that this is a rush and we believe, not we know, we believe that this is um, intelligent or this is intelligence agencies working. Because you have to remember, when it comes to a scam, when it comes to a threat to someone, if the FBI was to approach, they know, they have proof that something is occurring. In this case, obviously they had no proof because it was all fake. So uh, whatever, they either showed up because because they're not good at investigating or they showed up because they had an agenda. I want to get in one one final question here. We've got about a minute left because you've made some significant allegations. And are are you looking at the circumstances and you're deducing that? I don't know how long it's been since you were in the FBI. Do you have relationships there? Do you have any reason to think that this is actually happening, that there is a a real conspiracy within the FBI to regulate information that's distributed on social media? Well, my allegations are based upon what Mark Zuckerberg just said. I do have uh, friends who are still agents and former agents and um, pretty much everybody looks at this and and kind of sits back and sees that something is drastically wrong. The same unit is being used over and over again in all of these things from the Washington, D.C. field office. The same people that were involved with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who said they wanted to take down Trump, are also involved with the Mar-a-Lago raid. So I don't think we really have to. Th- these are facts. So when we say allegations or we're uh, we're accusing I'm just looking at the facts, and I'm and when I point these out, I can say that this is normal behavior, and this is not normal behavior. But the behavior that we're seeing is normal for criminals because criminal enterprises repeat the same thing over and over again. Jonathan Gilliam, we're going to have to cut you off there because we're out of time. But thank you so much for stopping by today. Very insightful. You got it, my friend. And friends, thank you for joining us today. A lot to talk about tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then. Fear God, nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.